But I've got to say, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit intrigued. I'm a little bit intrigued because um, thinking about yesterday made me kind of wonder, what makes someone go for a football team? It's clearly not because they win, in the Bulldogs' case, because it's been how long since their last premiership? 60 years. Six, two premierships in 60 years. That can't be a good reason to go for a team. I looked up the stats, and it can't be because of the coach, because they've, on average, changed coach every 2.7 years in the last 50-odd years. It can't be because of the players, because in the last 50 years, they've had over 500 players. That's like 10 new players a year. So you can't be committed to, to the players. I'm thinking to myself, what, what makes someone go for a team? And I'm picking on the Bulldogs, because they're obviously on the top of the pile to be picked on today. But, <laughs> but you could say it about any team. It could apply to any team. Um, what about the, the theme song or the name? Oh, no, hang on, that's changed too. Um, they weren't always the Western Bulldogs. And you might not realise it, but the song's actually different words now. They, uh, they changed as well. So you're not attached to that. So all we've pretty much got is some colours and a, and a dog. A bulldog, sorry, a bulldog, which if you actually do a bit of research, someone on the radio yesterday morning was talking about bulldogs and how they got their name. It's not pretty, it's not nice and it's brutal and we don't do it anymore because it's so brutal about how they behaved around bulls. Um, it was actually a support um, that that's, would be illegal now. That, so we kind of go, what, what, are we, what are we attached to? What's, what are we... What are we excited for? What, what are we? But at the same time, people love getting attached to a team. They actually make it part of their identity. It's like a label. It's a badge. It's like a maybe a scarf. <laughs> or a, where's where's Billy? No, he's uh, he's got his jersey on today. Even that changes every year with different branding and stuff. So you kind of go. You're obviously not attached to very much apart from maybe an idea. And it's more about that being attached to us than us being attached to that, because that keeps changing. So we like it attached to us, um, because we kind of go, oh, sorry, Kel, I've got you to, <laughs> didn't, you didn't have to take it off, but so. So this, this <laughs> you're gonna rebuke me, no? <laughs> the other side of it. Um, it, has, it. It has purpose, it's okay, it's all right. Um, so there's this sense, um, the sense of us being attached to something and it becoming part of our identity, who we are. Um, and I, I want to I demonstrate this this morning and I'm going I'm to um, uh, need a volunteer um, and, and that kind volunteer is going to be Joel. Thank you, Joel. Joel has no idea what he's volunteering for, but I really appreciate your, uh, your offer, willingness. So <laughs> it's good. So, so let's think about Joel's identity, okay? So Joel has different things. We, we attach things to ourselves. We, there's things that we put on ourselves and there's things that others put on ourselves in terms of our identity. We wear them like badges. Sometimes we hide some of them. Sometimes we wear others proudly. Do you back for a footy team? Yeah. Okay. So you back, what footy team? The Cats. The Cats. Yeah. Here we go. You're going to label me? I am. Sounds very judging to me. <laughs> there we go. One. Cats. Are you, do you wear it proudly? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right up the top there. Ooh. Okay. Now, um, you're a husband as well? I assume so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what this means, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you're glad you're a husband? 
Yep. Yep, so that's up the top two. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, correct answer. I had to look at her in the eyes then. Okay, so Sophie, what would you say something about his character? This is part of, you know, a bit of part of his identity. Well, how would you describe Joel? Give me a word because I, oh, I was going to ask for a simple word, but that's all right. Integrity, good, good. It's just one. I like that. Actually, you played into my game very well there. Thank you. So we go integrity. He's not sticky. Stubborn. You're proud of being stubborn? Uh-oh. Stubborn, right up the top? Stick it on the forehead. Stubborn. I'm, I'm guessing you're not so proud of being stubborn. Just a bit further down. Strong-willed. Strong-willed, okay. Yeah, good, good. Um, so there's all different ideas. Um, so so how, uh, how tall are you? No, nah, it's, like, it's like this close to six foot. That Can you close call to six that foot? six foot? Yep, no worries. Beautiful. Okay, and, um, and, and what, about, um, what about your education? You got an education? Yep. Yeah? But how'd, you, how'd you go? Oh, I did all right. I didn't really care. Yeah? Cool. Sorry, Dad. Um, awesome. Awesome. And, um, and, and what about some... Um, can you read what that says? Yeah, I can. <laughs> For people up the back, it says loser. Um, and, um, and do you always get things right? Oh, no. No? No? Oh, a bit weak. Sweet. That's good. <laughs> so you, some of those you didn't really put on yourself, did you? No. I kind of put on for you. Yep. But you actually operate at it. So as a husband, that influences how you make choices, yep. decisions. So your identity actually influences what you do. And maybe the cats, being a fan of the cats, actually has an influence. Do you think integrity has an influence on what you do? I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, if you believe that you're a loser, do you think that would have an influence on what you do? Yep. Yeah. Now, in this case, I decided that. So do you think it has an influence on how I I look at you? 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're wrong. If it was re- if if it was real, just for those that are, are not sure whether it's right or not. So there's all these these parts of our identity, and we could go into it. There's there's millions of them. There's heaps of them, but um, but they're all they all actually have an impact on how we see ourselves, how other people see us. Um, but they also have a massive impact on how on the choices and the decisions that we make. Um, and so, and so, you know, th- this is obviously a, just a simple illustration. But, um, but th- these labels, these these badges that we wear, whether it's a footy team, whether it's our status, whether it's what someone has said to us, they actually have a massive impact on how we see ourselves and the decisions and the actions that we make. So, thank you, Joel. Appreciate that. Thank you. Don't <laughs> yeah, know how you really feel. <laughs> But I want to look at a, um, a story today that is very, very much about our identity, um, about identity in general. And it comes from uh, John chapter 4. Now, it's a story that you'll be familiar with. Um, it's a story that's very familiar, but um, there's, there's some aspects of this that, that we really need to understand, that we really need to to grapple with, particularly in our culture and, and in the way things are right now, they're actually very significant. And they were then and they are today. And, um, and I'm just going to read from John chapter 4. 
And if you'd like to join, if you'd like to follow along, feel free to. But um, if you just want to listen, that's also also fine. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. You notice that he had to. It was kind of, wasn't by choice. Just, it was the way you had to go. Eventually, he came to the Samarian village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So he wasn't on an agenda, he just happened to be there because he was tired. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, that doesn't seem like much to us, but at the time, that's really significant. Because noontime is not the time you go to draw water. You draw water early in the morning when it's cool um, or late in the evening when it's cool. You don't do it in the middle of the day. That's a, that's a stupid time to go out to the well and go draw water. But this woman had chosen to go in the middle of the day to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So here's some other things that aren't normal in this picture. She's a woman, he's a guy, and he asked her for a drink alone at a well. None of these things culturally add up. These are, if we think about labels, the labels that she's wearing, the label he's wearing, don't mean you have a conversation or you ask for a drink. So she's not meant to be there, she's not meant to be talking to him, and he's not meant to be asking her for a drink. So already we've got some really bizarre senses of labels that are worn, identities, that there's a clash here. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So here we have another thing. You, we know from, um, from the, the Good Samaritan, the sense that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They didn't see eye to eyes. Jews saw themselves much, much higher up the, the food chain than Samaritans. Samaritans were lowlifes and they did not associate with them. They had nothing to do with them. They didn't like them. And so we've got another label, another badge that this, this lady's wearing that means this conversation doesn't make sense. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So he doesn't actually address any of her concerns. He doesn't actually acknowledge any of the issues that, they've, they've actually, that she's raised and that are concerned there. He's moved on. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And beside, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Again, status. Jacob has produced the well. This is, this is not anybody. This is our forefather Jacob. And you're claiming, you know, your status is somewhere as good or greater than him? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. 
But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said. Mm, That's changed. She's quite happy to talk now. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Another little label. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. She's playing the, the label game again. Let's go back to, you know, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Let's, you're a prophet. Tell me how this works. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And it's the first time that he gives himself a label. And it's a very clear label. There's no confusion. Jesus, uh, just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? So they got how awkward this was. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked, the other teacher, uh, asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvested are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and the other harvests, and it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because a woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know 
that he is indeed the saviour of the world. It's a fantastic, amazing story, an amazing testimony of this woman. But for her, in that circumstance, her labels, her titles, her identity was one of rejection, was one of isolation, and was one of shame. The reason she was out there at lunchtime instead of in the morning was most likely because she didn't fit in. She didn't have, she, she didn't have the one husband everyone else had. She was shamed because of her, her past and the, and the situation she was in. And it was highly likely that she was there because of that shame. That, that it was the time where she could go out on her own. And yet, when we look at how Jesus interacted with her, he didn't see any of that as a barrier to actually connecting with her. He would have known, he would have understood, and yet at the same time, he actually used an isolated, rejected woman to bring the good news of the Messiah to a group of people that his people would have thought weren't worthy of it in the first place. So all of a sudden, we've got this broken down sense of identity. And the scenario is that he actually broke cultural bounds, but he also maintained his identity in the picture. Because you look at it, he wasn't confused about who he was and what he represented. He prophesied, he declared himself as the Messiah, he went and, and, and spoke to them and, and, uh, and many believed as a result of his, his preaching and his teaching. And so while he is actually wearing his identity very clearly, he actually had amazing news for this woman who was also wearing her identity very clearly about her identity. In our culture, it's actually no different. If you're a young Sudanese male, then you must be a criminal who is part of a gang. That's, that's culturally, I know people that are scared to walk down the street and see a young Sudanese male because they think they're part of the Apex gang. That's, that's the badge that they wear, whether they like it or not. And you know what? We live out our identities. This woman was living out her identity. She was living by going to the well at midday because of the shame and the things that other people had said about her, that she couldn't go at the same time as everybody else, so she was living her identity. If you're unemployed, you must be an incomp incompetent doll bludger. If you don't have any, any friends, then you must be a lonely loser. If you're a girl and don't look like a movie star, then you must be weak and ugly. And if you're a guy and don't look like a movie star, you must be weak and ugly. We, we have these identity crisis that comes along that defines people for the wrong reasons, for the wrong ideas. And we all wear these badges like Joel was wearing. We all wear these, these things. Some of them we're ashamed of. Some of them we're proud of. Um, some of them were given to us. Some of them we put on ourselves. But some of our, not all our identity is bad. And I've, I've realised, and, and while we had our time of prayer and fasting, I had, a, I had a light bulb moment that culturally there's parts of our identity 
that are good that are also being destroyed. The idea that all religions are the same. As long as you're true to yourself, all beliefs are just as credible as anything else. That's something that our our society, that's the way we're heading. That families can be whatever you want it to be. The definition of family is whatever you feel like. As long as you put stickers on the back of your car to describe it, then then family can be whatever shape and whatever. The the idea that family is, is actually family has changed. We're heading to a place where marriage is whatever you want it to be. We can define marriage as however you want it to be. We're heading to a place where all cultures that come to Australia, we expect to dress and talk and, uh, you know, they've they got to be like me. They've got to eat food like me and if they don't eat food like me, it can't stink when I'm on the train because that irritates me. I've heard that a few times about people from other cultures that eat food that smells not nice. They should change to the way I want to, want to be like. The idea that we can have diversity in cultures is we've got to get rid of that. And the next one on the chopping block could be gender. Um, I was told of a Canadian guy, husband and father of seven, 52 years old, that left his wife and kids to live as a transgender six-year-old girl. That was the choice he made. Now, obviously, that's not commonplace and we don't experience that now, but even gender... As, as an identity is being broken down. And it's a deception because it all leads to aspects of identity becoming insignificant and meaningless. Because if we redefine family to whatever you want it to be, then family has no meaning. And if you redefine marriage to whatever you want it to be, then marriage has no meaning. And if you redefine gender to be whatever, it, whatever you want it to be, it has no meaning. Um, It has no significance. And if our sense of real identity, who we really are, gets broken down and we have no meaning, then what's the point? So it doesn't surprise me that self-esteem is a major issue for young people because they're twisted about what identity means. They're twisted about what, what it means to belong, what it means to be who you were made to be, who God designed you to be. The people are more connected by technology than ever before, but they feel more lonely than ever before because our measure of identity becomes how many likes we got on a post on Facebook. Midlife crises are real and prevalent. And in the last five years, suicide has increased in our state in all age brackets. If things are meaningless and hopeless and we get twisted ideas about who we are and our identity, then there's no point. And Jesus tackles that time and time again. It doesn't matter whether it was a bunch of fishermen It doesn't matter whether it's a tax collector up a tree. It doesn't matter whether it's a woman at a well. All of them had a sense of identity that was incomplete. And he came into those situations and he said, you missed the point. 
You've, you've sold yourself short. You're more than you think you are. There's more purpose. There's, there's more significance. There's more reason to live than you imagine. And he transformed lives. So there's this woman that was ostracized. And this is, this, I find this amazing. So she's at the, will, at the well alone in the middle of the day because she's ostracized from her culture. And yet she goes back. She probably doesn't have a lot of credibility. But she goes back and shares her testimony. And so this woman who was the worst person to give testimony about Jesus is actually the one that Jesus provides the opportunity for to bring the whole town, the whole village for a few days to bring to Jesus to make them believers. It's twisted. She didn't deserve that. Even we look at her identity and say she didn't deserve that. She wasn't the one who had any credibility for what she was declaring. She wasn't the one who had a, a story to tell that would, would say that she's, you know, she's worthy of it. She had nothing to offer. She had nothing that she could say that was convincing because of her identity. And yet Jesus said, that is not my measure of you. I will treat you like your true identity is like who you're meant to be. And as a result of that, her village heard the good news. Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I think sometimes we look at our role to bring the good news to a hurting nation, to people that are having trouble as, as something that ends up in the too hard basket. But I look at this story as a beautiful picture of how easy actually sharing the gospel is. Because Jesus' model was very, very simple. He saw somebody, he saw who they saw they were, and he corrected them. That's all he did. And when he corrected them, they went, wow, you're amazing. No one's told me that before. That's really sad, isn't it? That, that people believe all this stuff that gets told at the, to them, and yet when someone actually comes along and says, you've got a really nice smile, they're like, wow, that's amazing. It's like, you do your job really well. That's phenomenal whoa, everyone complains about my service at the coffee shop, but no one actually tells me that I do a good job. And all of a sudden, Jesus actually treats people like their true identity, not the lies they've been fed. And they're blown away by that. And so my question this morning is really simple. Where's your well? Jesus wasn't aiming for that well. He had to go through Samaria it was a, well, the, obviously, in John's writing, he's kind of acknowledging the fact that Samaria wasn't the choice of destination on the way through and that Jesus was just tired at the well. But Jesus took the opportunity to share the gospel, the gospel of hope, of truth, of opportunity for this person. And um, 
And sometimes we think we've got, to, we've got to do something amazing to share the gospel. But the gospel is just the truth. It's that people have value. They have significance. They have purpose. They have meaning. Tonight at um, Berwick Church of Christ, there's, um, there's a men's talk on uh, depression. And I go, I want to understand this more. Because when I chat to somebody... I want to be able to help them in their sense of, of, uh, it's of an illness or state of mind or whatever it is, depending whether it's clinical, there's complications. But anyway, the point is, depression isn't their destination. It's not the label they should wear as their identity. And so if I can help somebody, if I have an opportunity to chat to someone and, and God tells me this person's really struggling, I want to be able to do that and bring them the gospel doesn't mean I have to bash them over the head with a Bible. I just need to tell them that that's not their identity. And, and maybe, as Jesus said, maybe you actually get to reap what somebody else sowed. And maybe that conversation, they go, wow, I've seen the light. I see the hope. I really want to be part of what you're telling me. Maybe not. Maybe I'm sowing a seed. I don't care. Because the harvest is there and it's ripe. It was amazing. I... Um, we had someone who was frustrated in our workplace. We knew they'd been frustrated for about six months. And we'd sat down to chat to them about where things were heading. And um, in the course of the conversation, she shared that she was, she was from the UK and she was going to go back home. She decided that she, you know, it wasn't all about the job. It was life circumstances. It was quite, you know, quite challenging. And she was going to head back home. And... The Lord gave me a word for this woman. And I said, do you mind if I share something with you? I didn't say God gave me a word. <laughs> um, I knew that wasn't her space. Um, in fact, she had a chip on her shoulder, um, a, a religious, uh, you know, she wasn't that pleased with God. <laughs> um, but she still was wearing a label that wasn't hers. And so I shared with her very honestly, and my boss is sitting next to me. And she just sat there and was almost stunned by this word. And she went, wow, thank you so much. Now, I wasn't sure how she was going to take it because it wasn't all nice. She was running and she knew she was running. And I, I said, there's actually, you can run away from things or you can run towards things. And at the moment, you're running away from things. And that's not how it's meant to be. You actually need to be running towards, towards something. And she went, that is so significant. And my boss sitting next to me went, can I go next? <laughs> that's how weird actually showing people their identity is. That even my boss, it wasn't super profound, it was profound to her, but it wasn't like, you know, I told her her whole past and her whole future. Like, it wasn't like what Jesus did in this story. But even then, my boss goes, can, can I, can you, have you got something for me? This, this is the gospel that we share. This is the significance. And I come back to that question, where is your well? Because your well is everywhere. Every time, every conversation, every person is a well experience. It's a potential well experience. 
You might go, that coffee shop that I, I go to every, every day and that guy serves me every day. God, how do you see him? How do you want me to let him know that? The people you work with, the people that you, that you maybe stop to help change a tyre, doesn't matter. The fact is that Jesus went around and he said, people are ready. People want to know who they really are. People want to know ultimately who he is because that's, that's, that's where we get our real identity. At the end of the day, being a child of the living God, saved by grace, they're badges we wear with pride. Not because pride in ourselves, pride in a saviour and pride in a God who thought we were worth saving. Some people may not want to have that badge straight away but they still need to know who they are. And so this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message that you are all equipped with what it takes to share the gospel in every time, in every season, in every location. Even if you had to be there, even though you didn't want to be there. (laughs) Even though you're in a suburb that you didn't want to be, hot beside a well you didn't want to be at, there is an opportunity to bring the gospel to somebody that needs to hear the gospel. And you are equipped to do that. Because if you see them the way God sees them, then that's what you need. You just need to share that. You need to uh, demonstrate that. So I just really want to encourage you this morning that when we look at this story, we look at layers of of, of badges, of labels, of identities that are, that are defined by others and are by ourselves. And yet in amongst it, a whole community got to experience Jesus and the freedom that he brings. And the beautiful thing is, is that we are equipped to do that also. I think sometimes... We wear um, an identity of, of uh, timidness or fear. I don't know of anybody, and I'd love to know if you've ever known somebody who's received a compliment. They might have, you know, shied back a little bit or been a bit embarrassed, but hasn't actually valued the compliment deep down. We're not talking about getting someone to, you know, get rid of the sin in their lives or like, do you know what I mean? Like, he didn't do that to this woman. He didn't actually say, you got some stuff to work on and until you work on that, you got to carry that and you are unworthy to tell anybody about anything good because you're wearing a loser badge. He didn't do that to her. And so the opportunity we've got is actually one that is readily received. People want to receive good news. People want to be valued. People want to, be, want to know that they are significant, that they are loved. They're actually, it's a message that, that people are hungry for. 
I think about myself, you know, Tanya and I have this ongoing debate because, you know, it's, you might think it's a bit sick, but, um, but we try, we try to... <laughs> no, no. We, we try to do things that the other person will value. So we'll, come to, we'll sit down and go, oh, should we watch a movie? And I'll go, oh, how about watch a romantic comedy? And Tanya will go, no, no, why don't we watch an action movie? Now, I enjoy an action movie. Tanya enjoys a romantic comedy. And so, and so we go, no, no, you know, we watched an action movie the other day. Well, let's watch something that you might like. And so there's this sense of wanting to do something for the other. And yet at the same time, if you flip the shoes over, if you said, well, if you were in my shoes, how would you feel? And you go, yeah, well, I'd be happy to, like, that'd be fine. And if you put, your, put yourself in the shoes of that person you're talking to, they go, I'd love some encouragement. Sometimes from our perspective, we look at it and go, oh, this is awkward. I don't know them. I, I, I don't know their circumstances. I feel weird. Just step into their shoes and go, how would it feel if a stranger walked up to you and said, I think you're awesome. I'd be fine with that. That's okay. It, it might be a little weird, but, but I'd go, you know, if it was in context, that might, you know. <laughs> if someone thought I made a good coffee and they thanked me for it, I could take that. Do you know what I mean? Like when you put yourself in those shoes, it's not actually that big. It's not actually that major. We actually make it more significant from where we stand than actually the person that's receiving it. And, and that's one of the things when you go to somewhere like Fiji, you see that because all of a sudden there's this cultural barrier that's broken down because you're a white person and, and, and they're very warm and embracing and you go, can I pray for you? Never met you before in my life. Love you to pray for me. Thanks so much. And yet you come back here and you go, oh, never ask anyone that. So like, how many times have you asked and it failed? Never. <laughs> and you go, well, so you don't actually know what it's like in the other shoes. You haven't, do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's this, there's this sense that from our position, we feel unable, um, ill-equipped, and like we don't have what it takes. And yet that's not true. That's, that label is wrong. Rip it off. You have what it takes, you are capable, and people want to know. Lord, I just thank you so much that you time and time again give us pictures, you demonstrate what it's like to share your love with people. Lord, it's not about how they see themselves, it's about how you see them. And Lord, I thank you so much that you don't measure us by our identity, You don't measure us by some of the labels that we wear with shame. You don't measure us by the things that other people call us. You know who we truly are. And you value us and you place significance on us based on the truth. So Father, I just thank you for the opportunities we have at the well. I thank you that you do give us opportunities to speak into people's identity. To help them see that some of the labels they're wearing aren't true. And maybe help them see that some of the labels they're wearing are good and valuable and significant because you have significance for each of us. 
and you have significance for everybody in this broken world. And Lord, I pray that your light would shine in the darkness. That the truth of who you see people as is something that would bubble forth from our lives. Whether we were in that circumstance by accident or not, whether we chose it or not, Lord God, we want to be people that shine your light in the darkness. Lord, we love you so much. We are blown away by the significance you place on our lives, Lord God. And we ask you, Lord, to, if there's things, labels that we need to take off, Father, labels of incompetence, labels of not being equipped, labels of, of fear of what people might think, we ask you, Lord, just to release us from those things that we would see people the way you see them, that we would speak to people the way you would speak to them, that we would act and respond to people the way you act and respond to us. Lord, whether it's at Officers Secondary College, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's handing cupcakes out, whether it's receiving a coffee from a coffee shop, whether it's the way we look at our kids or our parents, we know that you have labels of value, of significance, of grace, of love, of mercy, of purpose. And Lord, we want to see that light shine in people's lives. Lord, I thank you so much for Kirsty's friend. Lord, I thank you that you've brought Kirsty into her life for a plan and a purpose. Lord, I thank you that she's able to speak words of truth in places where there's brokenness and despair. Lord, I pray for that lady. Lord, I pray for her family. Lord, I thank you for the amazing person that you see there. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would bring that revelation of truth into her heart right now, Lord God, that she would know the love of a father, that she would know the significance of her as a mother. Lord, even though sometimes she gets it wrong and sometimes she feels weak and tired, Lord, you have never given up on her. You have never said, that she is a waste of space or, or um, not worth anything, Lord God. But you have value for her. Lord, we just ask that that would be her identity today, Father. And Lord, as we think about others, Lord, that we interact with, Lord God, we just ask for your spirit to reveal truth to each of them, Father. We just thank you that you invite us to participate in that. In Jesus' name, amen.